Good morning, friends. Good morning, Lou. I understand that you're battling a cold and not feeling so good. <laughs> I'm on the other end of it, though. I think I'm coming out of it. Uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. But <laughs> as everybody can see behind me, all the snow yes. and the bad uh, drop in temperature, people in India are not feeling this cold. <laughs> <laughs> so today, friends, we are going to be talking about verses uh, 38 and 39 in chapter 2. And before I do that, let me just go over a little bit what we did so far, because yeah, as the Gita does, it keeps repeating itself so yes. that it sort of sticks in your mind. So I just want to go over what we've done so far and so we all know where we're coming from. Um, verses 11 to 30 in chapter 2 were called Sankhya, Buddhi which means knowledge of the Atman. Now, it doesn't mean that you get to know who the self is. You don't become self-realized, but just basically to tell you what the Atman is all about, right? to teach you so that we can go further. Verses 31 to 37 were basically called yoga buddhi, which is more worldly, uh, an attitude which will get us towards self-realization, an attitude. Mm -hmm. And... Verses 38 to 53 are karma yoga, which takes us towards self-realization. And verses 54 onwards are a description of a self-realized person. So by 53, you get to know what karma yoga can do to you to get you towards self-realization. And then Arjuna says in verse 53, he says, yeah, all of this is good, but <laughs> what exactly is a self-realized person like? What does he look like? I mean, what do I want to work so hard, spend my whole life to get to be self-realized? And what does that do for me? What does a self-realized person really look like? What does he walk like? What does he talk like? How does he behave in life? And so from verse 54 onwards is a really spectacular description yeah. of what a self-realized person is all about. So we got to quickly get from verse 38 to verse 54. So in um, so far what we've done, in chapter 1 and 2, we see that um, Arjuna is a warrior. And in those days, we're talking about 5,000 years ago, yes. um, warriors had almost a religion. You know, it's like you, this was your duty. Right. If you chose to be a warrior, you were born into a family of warriors. And your father was a warrior, your grandfather was a warrior, and you said, I've got to perform my duty. That doesn't mean that every person in um, the war had to fight. Because in the Gita itself, there are some warriors that said, even though I'm a Kshatriya, a warrior, I choose not to fight this particular war. And they went on uh, pilgrimages to temples and stuff like that. It's written there. Mm -hmm. Say, we choose not to fight. We're going away on a pilgrimage. Sorry, this war I'm not going to fight. Hmm. But if you choose to fight it and you enter the battlefield and you then face the enemy, you can't turn your right. back on the enemy at that time. Yeah, once you so, sign up, you sign up. <laughs> once you sign up, well, not exactly. Because oh. you signed up, you're a warrior, but you say, I don't want to fight this war. No, on and this you particular on war. Yeah, once you but sign once into you this sign, war. Yeah. Once you enter the battlefield, yeah. you can't back out. Yep. Then, it, you, then it says you're a coward. Right. So, in fact, in the Gita, it says that so many people did do that. And Arjuna was not afraid. It's not like he was saying, I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of my arms getting cut off. He just said, I'm afraid of killing these people who I know as my kinmen. Kinsman. 
So he became grief. He, he, he was grieving for the fact that he would have to kill all of these people on the other side. Right. And that is when Krishna, who was his charioteer and his cousin and friend, revealed his true self. And what Krishna said to Arjuna was, we were all here before. And, and this is where you start to understand what the Gita is talking about. And this is a way for Vyasa, who wrote the Gita, to explain to us all. This is a way for him to teach us the basic concept of what is a body, what is a mind, what is the uh, intellect, what is the Atman, which powers all it says. And he says, we will always be there, not in the form of the body, right. but in the form of the Atman or the self. And the self... Uh, Krishna says, will never get destroyed. These bodies will get destroyed, but the Atman is neither born nor does it die. Remember, we went through all of that in the previous sessions. Right. It is always there, eternally. It cannot be destroyed, if you remember, by weapons, by fire, by water, or by dryness. So it goes through all the elements that mm -hmm. we know about. I'm just repeating for yes. those who might not have seen previous sessions, although I recommend that everybody go back and look at the basics. Uh, because it'll help in the future. Right. Um, the cause of Arjuna's fear is not knowing that he and his foes are eternal. That's basically what Krishna explains to him. He says, if you really knew that the person that you don't want to kill is not going to die, just his body is going to die, but he's going to be eternal, you would feel better, so get up and fight. Do yeah. your dharma. Dharma, if you remember, in previous sessions, we talked about that dharma means the inherent quality of something. Yes. So the dharma of sugar is sweetness. Similarly, the dharma of a kshatriya is war, fighting. Yes. So do your dharma as a kshatriya, and you must fight. Um, so the analogy is of that of a football team or a soccer team, right? Everyone has his job to do yep. like we we're hurting right now because the patriots are not winning <laughs> and what's the is patriots it, big motto the patriots motto is do your job do your job yep. every one of you yep. if you're a receiver and the quarterback could be fantastic but if the receiver drops the ball you right. say ah you know hurts me that this receiver didn't catch, catch the thing it's fun yeah but every person has to do his job so if there's in society there's kshatriyas they have to do their job to fight, right. if they've signed up for it. A, a, a Brahmin has a job as a priest, as a teacher, as an intellectual, right. and he has to do th that job. A businessman has to do profit and gain and bring uh, cause the economy to go around. So similarly. So in Chapter 2, Lou, there are four topics. The first topic is where they talk about Arjuna's confusion, his fear, his grief. So in that first topic, it really talks about us, each one of us. Each mm -hmm. one of us is designated to be Arjuna. We go through periods of time when everything's going great, like Arjuna was at right. some point. And then there are times where we go through hardship, we get confused, we get sorrowful, we, get, we despair. The second topic in the second chapter is what is the solution to that? And what Krishna says is, work towards realizing your own self, with a capital S. Work towards realizing your Atman, self-realization. Yes. Once you know yourself, nothing else needs to be known. You know yourself, you don't need to be anything else. 
Once you know the self, all sorrow, all anxiety, all despair disappears. Mm -hmm. So that is the second topic. The third topic is, well, how do you get there? Yeah. Arjuna says, that's well and good. You say all get well and good. I say well and good. How do you get there? So Vyasa was the same person that wrote the four Vedas. And Vyasa is the same person that wrote the Gita. And what Vyasa said is that in the Vedas, he said, do karma yoga. Karma means doing something. Mm -hmm. So in that, in the Vedas, he wrote various rituals. You know, do this, do this, do this. So people got, according to him, he changed the definition of karma yoga in the Gita. So in the Vedas, karma yoga is essentially doing things, like yes. doing uh, uh, doing a yagna, which is a large prayer with the right. uh, fire and everything else, which we can go into at some point what that means. <clears throat> or doing a ritual, going to a temple, putting offerings and stuff like that. Right. And people misunderstood that to be, okay, I'm doing karma yoga, now I'll get to God. Right. I'll get to self-realization. And so in the in the Gita, he says, scrap that. Scrap they, the... They took it as a task. And if they completed the task, they would, yeah. Yeah, they took it not only as a task, but as the step necessary right. to get to right. self-realization. Mm -hmm. So they said, if I do that, I'll get there. And he says, no, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> it's not the physical action of doing the ritual. Right. It is the attitude with which you do your job, whatever your job is, not the ritual, right. but whatever your duty is towards yourself, towards your family, towards your community, towards the world, towards other living beings, towards other human beings. The attitude of not having selfish, um, desire-ridden wishes when you do it, that's what will get you towards. The ritual uh, and was, that is called karma yoga. The ritual Sorry. was a tool to get you into a, into that mental space, much like a chant or mantra is to get you to meditation. It's Mantra isn't meditating, it's helping you meditate. The Gita says exactly that. Yeah. This is just a way of getting towards it. But mm. the analogy is that uh, about pole vaulting. Does uh. everybody know? I mean, this this is probably not a, something that you see in the Olympics these days, do oh, you? Yeah. No, they still pole, pole vault. Yeah, we, yeah, we pole vaulted. Yeah, we pole vaulted in high school. We know a little bit about it. Yeah. So let's okay. try that analogy. So, yeah. So for those who don't know about it, because uh, I don't see it in high school or anything here these days. But if you don't know it, folks, please go to the web and look up what pole vaulting <laughs> is. Pole vaulting is where they set a bar pretty high up, very high, not just six feet or eight feet. Right. And then you have to use a pole. You start at a distance. You hold the pole in your hands. It's a long pole, about how many feet is it, 20 feet or so? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go close to 15, but yeah. 15. Yeah. So you hold one tip of it. The other tip is sticking out from in front of you. You run very fast right up to the bar. Mm -hmm. You plant the pole into the ground, and that pole sort of swings up, and you go up with it. Like yep. 15 feet, like Lou was saying. Right. And then you're at the top, you fall on the other side, you let go of the pole, the pole falls on the direction where you were running from, and you fall on the other side. And now you've cleared a height of maybe 15, 20 feet. Right. That is called pole vaulting. Now, in that pole vaulting, the important thing is if your pole hits the pole over which you're jumping, yes. then you're disqualified. Right. You cannot hold the pole and go over because that defeats the purpose. You can't take the pole with you. Oh, I see, yeah. But 
if you don't have a pole, you can't go over. So what the analogy is, is that you need these rituals, like you were saying, to get to a certain point. But at that point, you've got to give up that ritual too. Right. You can't take the ritual with you and say, I'm going to be self-realized, but I want to keep doing this ritual. Right. You, even the Vedas, the Gita, this knowledge, all of this is to get you to a certain point and then to stop thinking about it so you can move on to the next stage. So that's what the, in, in the Gita, Vyasa changes the definition of Karma Yoga. Before Karma Yoga, and some to this day people think that Karma Yoga means actually doing things. Oh, yeah, I'm going out and I'm feeding the oh, poor yeah. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going out. There's a long line of blind kids sitting there outside this um, orphanage in India, and I feed everybody. But in your mind, what are you doing? You're just going and you're dumping food in their plates, and at the end of it, you say, oh, it was so hot, I couldn't bear it. I had to get out of there. In, your mind, in your mind, you're paying dues to get something. Yes. Which is not the right approach. Correct. Absolutely. In your mind, if, you're, if your mind is saying, it's too hot, I hate doing this, that's no good. Yeah. If your mind is saying, wow, I'm, as I'm feeding all these people, I hope my husband gets that big contract that I'm hoping for, that's no good. If you say, I hope my wife gets this such and such that she's looking for, that's no good. It has to be done for the right reasons. And he says that knowledge that you're doing this for a certain reason is called karma yoga. Right. So he says, when you, it's a knowledge, it's an attitude, it's not the actual physical job. So the third topic is how to get there. The yoga is the method of moving from where we are towards self-realization, the path of karma yoga. And what it does, the first part is the physical, because mm -hmm. that's the lowest. The body is the lowest. Right. The first part is doing physical work. So here in the United States, what is that ha habit? Uh, habit? What's that thing that people go out and build houses for poor people? Oh, Habitat for Humanity. Ha habit, habitat for Humanity, right. right? They actually go out in the summer and spring, and they roll up their sleeves, and they're wearing shorts, and they work hard 12 hours a day, and they use a hammer, and they build houses for right. poor people. Yeah. What are they doing? They're physically working out their, doing their karma. Right. So as they're doing it, if they're doing it with the attitude, I'm doing this for the poor people, I'm using my muscles, I'm doing it. It's a good karma, physically. Yeah. You're using your body towards right. a higher self. That then gets to the level of the mind. And the mind then has starts to have emotions. And the emotions basically are love towards your fellow human being, towards the community, towards other beings other than humans, the world, the environment, etc., and that is known as an upasana. So karma yoga leads to upasana, which is the mental attitude of emotions towards doing good for other people, which then leads to samadhi, which is the closest step towards self-realization. So that's the third topic. The fourth topic is, as Arjuna asks, what happens after you get self-realized? Do you look like space? Do you look like air? What's the nature of a self-realized person? How does he walk? How does he behave? Now, in a self-realized person remains in the world, but interacts differently, whether it be with the world or people, etc. Right. Sorry about that. <laughs> so his duty is towards, our duty is towards ourself, firstly, to get towards self-realization. 
You can't do any of this until you think in terms of getting to yourself. But as you're getting to yourself, your mind is always thinking about what's in it for me. Right. What's the gain? Right. So whatever duty you do, whatever your duty you do, you've got to stop thinking about what's in it for me. Try to do things anonymously. Don't use your name. Don't right. say what's in it for me. What's, you know, how much money am I going to get out of it? What fame, what power? Because the body wants sense objects for the tongue, for the nose, for right. the eyes. The mind wants emotions, love, praise. The intellect wants praise, honor, uh, uh, power, position, right. stuff like that. So all of those have to be out. You have to do things because that's the right thing to do. So you, you immediate neighbors after that, then the community, then the world, and our animals, and so on. So just doing your duty isn't enough. It's the attitude with which you do your duty. Together, that duty and attitude is known as karma yoga. New definition, new meaning 5,000 years ago. Yes. Um, new 5,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you can imagine what it was like before yeah. that, right? Yeah. So the point is to get from desires to desirelessness. No desires. From action to freedom from bondage or action. That's our goal. So with that, let's go quickly to um, what time is it? It's 20 minutes already. We're 17 minutes in, yeah. Okay. Verse 38. Krishna says in verse 38 to Arjuna, he says, you will not incur any sin. This is important. You will not incur any sin because this is important because now after this, this was 5,000 years ago. After this, other religions also talk about the word sin. Right. And people often think of sin in a different way than what is meant over here. So you will not incur any sin, he says to Arjuna. If you do your job, your dharma, in your case, getting ready for a battle, as long as you treat alike both pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat. So you notice that here he's talking about things for the body, things for the mind, and things for the intellect. Pleasure and pain for the body, gain and loss for the mind, victory and defeat for the intellect. So when we perform an action, so I'm gonna talk about sin because that's the very important thing here in this um, topic, in this verse. When we perform an action, our attitude should be equanimous, equal to both sides. There's a possibility of pain, there's a possibility of loss, there's a possibility of defeat, right? right? Anything we do. You play the stock market, you can win a lot of money. You can lose money. You have to accept both of them on either side. You're treating a patient. If you're a physician, the patient could get better. He could not get better. He could say, Doc, you're the best doctor in the world. Or he could say, you're a lousy quack. You didn't get me better. <laughs> yeah. right? You have to be prepared that you're going to do your job and not look for the results. Um, an analogy. An analogy of a guy who goes to work in a factory, right? One guy is going there, and he's looking around the factory all the time to see, where's my boss? He said, okay, he's there. And he's constantly looking to see, is his boss looking at him? And every time his boss turns his face towards him, he starts working very diligently. And 
And another guy, because he's focused on making sure the boss recognizes how hard he's working so he can get a promotion, get a salary increase, etc. Another guy says, I'm here to do my job, my dharma, my duty. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And rewards will come as and when they will. Right. And so he just keep, puts his head down and he keeps working, working, working. The boss may see the other one. You know, every time he turns around, he's working hard. But he knows from the quality of work that the guy who never looks at his boss, just keeps working throughout, produces better kinds of widgets right. versus the guy who's looking at his boss all the time. He produces more widgets than this guy. His attitude towards his companions is better. Right. This guy is more selfish. Every time he goes to talk to him, the boss says he's putting other people down. Whereas the guy who's really in it for the job is saying good things about everybody. His job is to get the whole company to who gets the promotion, who gets the salary increase, yeah. who gets the pat on the back. It's the guy who just puts his head down and does it for the job. Right. One so, one guy is serving his gain and the other person is serving his job, his dharma. Yeah. Yeah. His, his dharma. And yeah. that's his dharma and he does it for that reason. So if you do everything with an attitude for that then you benefit greatly. Somebody said, once I, when I was in a class, raised his hand and says, I'm a stockbroker. He says, what do I do? how do I run a stock market playing the stocks all day? That's my job. I make a lot of money. I lose a lot of money. Where's my dharma in that? Hmm. Right? Good yeah. question. Yeah, it is he a says, good question. I'm, 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 I'm a professional gambler. <laughs> he says, what's the dharma in that? You know, I, Arjuna had to fight because it was a righteous war he had to fight. But as a stockbroker, what's my dharma in stocks? So the teacher asked him, he says, well, what is the purpose for which you use this money? Right. What are you trying to get this money for? So he said, if you're doing this just to amass more money so you can buy a bigger yacht, right. a bigger house, a bigger car, then... These are desire-bound actions. On the other hand, you make a lot of money, no harm done. You can have a big house. But if you're saying at the same time, it gives me the opportunity to do my duty, yes. which is to help the what I said before, community, the neighbors, the world, environment, animals. If you're doing that to get the stock market, you say, okay, listen, I've got like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah. They've given away what? How many billions right. to say, I made this money, but I want to give it to people. That's the right attitude. That's the dharma. How about how does your own family play into this if you're a stockbroker to feed the family, put the kids through college, give a good life to your family? Yeah, remember what I said before, that your attitude is first to help yourself to become self-realized. As you're headed down that path, You've got a responsibility towards your wife because, or your husband mm -hmm. because you're married. You have a responsibility. You must make sure that your wife is taken. You can't say, my wife is starving, my kids are starving, but right. I'm giving money to other people. Right. No, you've got to take care of them. But not to say, I've got to make sure that they're bathed in luxury. Oh, yeah, no. No. Yep. Enough for their needs and stuff like that. Right. Like Warren Buffett. It's a perfect example of somebody who says, I've got a ton of money, but he lives in a modest home. You could afford more. Live the way you feel comfortable. You don't right. have to be poor, right. but you don't have to be extravagant either. And then use the rest of your funds to help other people. As long as you're using your funds to help other people, you could live in a palace. It doesn't matter. Right. Bill Gates lives in a palace, yeah. but he gives millions away. 
Um, so there's a possibility of pain, loss, defeat, except both of them on either side. More important is performing your duty, not the result of the duty. If you're balanced in your attitude towards the result, you will be balanced in your work. And your performance will be so much better because your mind is not wasting even an iota of its energy thinking, what's in it for me? Before you even start your whatever it is that you contemplate doing, decide that you will be fine regardless of which way you go, which results you get. Now, talking about sin, right? That's the important part in my mind about this. Yes. What is sin? So, in other religions, I think their attitude is, if you sin, there's somebody watching you. I could be wrong. This is what I have been told. Somebody watching you, somebody taking note, and when you die, you're going to go to some place where somebody says, take out some book and says, hmm, yeah. you're the one that did this, you're the one that did that, therefore you're going to be punished. Yes, I was raised Catholic. That's a fairly accurate <laughs> summation of it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, we know that there's no place that has pearly gates up there in the sky. Yeah. We know that there's no heaven, there's no hell. I mean, we've gone everywhere. We haven't seen it. So what the Gita says is that when we die— our body drops off like a set of clothes. Right. But the mind and intellect continues towards the next body. And in that mind and intellect, although you may not remember, although there are stories about people who get reincarnated who remember what their previous wife's name was or their kids' names was or where they lived. If you've heard those stories, they're fascinating. Yeah. But... For the most of part, we don't remember that, but the vasanas remain with us. The desire to make money, to get power, mm -hmm. to be beautiful, to, to you know, do those kinds of, all those vasanas remain with us, and they just build from one life to the next. The other thing that remains with us is any bad feeling that we've occurred with us that we've done something really bad. So, for instance, a tiger, when he jumps on a little calf, and kills it to pieces and shreds it and eats it. Right. Do you think he feels guilty afterwards? No. But if we were to do something that's really bad, really bad, think of the worst thing that you could think of that makes us feel bad, where you wake up in the middle of the night with a bad feeling that you did this. It's, oh, my God, that was not a, that was a dream of what I did. Yeah. That, and most of us don't do things like that, right, that causes us such feelings. Right. But if that happens, where you say, I want to get this out of my mind, I can't get it out of my mind. And being a psychiatrist, I've had people like that come to me who said, Doc, I've done some, some really bad things in my life and I can't get it out of my head. It really drives me crazy. <laughs> so that is called sin. When you're now incurring that indelible memory of what you did, that's right. causing you negative feelings, you're going to carry that with you after you die. This is an important thing to remember. So remember in Catholic religion, they talk about purgatory? Right. Where you're sort of floating in space somewhere yep. with bad feelings like you're going through hell? This is it. Yeah, it's our, guilt our, our guilt, our conscience. We're dealing with it all the time. We're dealing with it all the time. Yep. So you say, listen, you do this, you're going to pay for this after you die. That's what it means. 
you're going to pay for it because your mind and intellect is just tremendously bothered. And I, don't, I can't visualize it many times. I think, what happens to the mind? What is float? I mean, is there, right. are there other minds and intellects floating around you? What do they look like? Yeah. And I don't know that anybody knows that. But apparently, that guilt, that feeling of sin that you've created goes with you. So the tiger who killed the baby calf doesn't have any uh, guilt. Right. He says, this is my, this is what I'm programmed to do. This is what I do. So he does that, and that's, he doesn't incur any sin. So if you do an action— We have that in human terms where we have, going back to the warrior or a soldier or a police officer or something, sometimes does something that the normal person would feel very guilty about, but he's doing his job. He's, he's doing his job. He's got right. to do what he's got right. to do. He's Right. A physician. Right. Yeah. He goes in to do surgery, and he's a patient dies under him. Most of the time, the guy says, "Listen, I didn't make a mistake. I did the best I could." Yep. Does he feel guilt? Probably to some extent, but it wears off as he explains to himself, "I didn't do it on purpose. Right. It was really bad. He was going to die. I did the best I could." He'll feel bad, but it. I don't necessarily know that he feels that he carries it with him to the next life. Right. As opposed to when he says, you know what, I wasn't really myself at the time. I'd had too much to drink. I yeah. shouldn't have been on the... Then he feels really bad. Right. That he carries with him. So remember I said before that karma is not the physical act of doing something. It's more the thought. Right. That's what he carries. So this is the same thing. It's the sin. Mm -hmm. So sin means agitation. As a result of an action, if you feel agitated or disturbed, then you have sin. If you get neither agitation nor disturbed, then you have not sinned. Um, if an action doesn't disturb you, then you're okay. Yes. When you perform your obligatory actions, so in Arjuna's case, it is the battle. That's why in this verse he says, go into battle, you will not incur sin if you don't think of defeat or loss or whatever. Right. So all of us, when we do something, you don't think about the positive or negative. You're thinking in terms of what you ought to do then you're okay. Then right. you don't incur sin, even if it goes against you. So the key is that you should not have selfish desires, egocentric desires, desire-ridden action. You feel the same with anything, success or failure, pleasure or pain, gain or loss, victory or defeat. Right now, every one of our actions is to gain something. You look at everything we do, we're looking to gain something. Yes. <clears throat> it takes significant amount of effort to say, I don't want anything. I, I, why are you doing this? You're looking to get fame. Yeah. You're looking to get popularity. You're getting um, money out of it. Mm -hmm. Everything most people do is for that. When you force yourself to say, I don't want my name on this. When you do a donation to something, you say, I don't want my name here. Right. I want it to be anonymous as much as possible people will still find out, well, who really wrote the check? Let me go into the internet and find out. Yeah, they can find out who this person is. But you're not trying to get that. You're not trying to get right. you know, your name up on the neon board. Right. Um, even in spiritual sadness, right? When you're doing something spirituality, if you keep saying, did I get there? Did I get there? Am I there already? Am I getting closer to being self-realized? Yes. You're not using your, half of your attention is going on what am I, where am I? Whereas if you just did it for the sake of this is what is the right thing to do, right. you'll get there faster. So in chapter three, we will see all about selfless action. So that's verse 38. 
How much time do we have? Wow. Okay. <laughs> We're okay. We're 32 minutes. Okay. We're okay. All right. All right. Verse 39, chapter 2. This is the wisdom of Sankhya taught to you. Now listen to the wisdom of yoga with which you will cast off the bond of action. So Sankhya is a sequence of logical thought which arrives at an irrefutable conclusion. Mm -hmm. So it's a sequence of thought right. that by going that way, you say, there's no other way about this. This has to be this way. So you, till verse 39, he says, this is the wisdom of Sankhya that I just told you. Mm -hmm. That this is a logical thought that you come to an irrefutable conclusion. Now listen to the wisdom of yoga which is the way to unite with the self, with which you can cast off all the bond of action. So how does one get past the everyday grief, despair, anxiety, depression, attachment, etc.? The Gita teaches us to put all of this that we have to get for the Atman. It's all in the Atman. The Atman is called Sat, S-A-T, Chit, C-H-I-T, Satchit Anand, Anand. So Sat means pure existence, pure existence, mm -hmm. just being there. Chit means pure knowledge, pure consciousness, knows everything, yeah. everything that is to know. And Anand means bliss. Bliss is no sorrow, no suffering at all. These three is the Atman combined. Now you may say, well, which part of it is Atman? Which part of it is Sat? Which part of it is Sat? It's all one. It's all mixed together. Right. You can't separate it. It's like salt and water mixed together. Salt, salt in the together. ocean. Yeah, exactly. Right. So not knowing that, because we don't know that's what it is, without knowing what Sat is, pure existence, we have a fear of death. Right, because right. we have pure existence. If you knew that you were pure existence, you say like, you know, we talked about Alexander last time. Alexander went to this self-realized right. soul and says, listen, I'm going to chop off your head unless you come with me back to Greece. Right. And he says, go ahead, you can chop off my head, but I'm living forever. My, my head is just part of my body. So he had no fear of death because he understood what Sat was. Right. There's no fear of non-existence because he knows he's always existing. There's no confusion in any way because it's pure knowledge and pure consciousness. And we seek freedom from our unhappiness because we don't know the anand or bliss. Right. We are seeking our own self and we are seeking something subtler than what the world has to offer. The world has offers us material things. But we're seeking something far subtler than that. And that's right. why we're listening to this, studying this, reading it. Um, so we talked about what we learned in verse 11 to 30, which is Sankhya Yoga, verses 31 to 37, Worldly Yoga, verses 38 to 53, and now we are on verse 39, from Karma Yoga to Samadhi. So some people need to act, right? Yeah. Before they do, you just, they're actors, they do things. Yeah. Others say, knowledge. Give me knowledge. I need the knowledge first before I act. You tell me to do this now. I want to know why I'm doing this. Think first so or act first, right? Most people think first, think first or act, act first. Yeah. Some people say, I want to know first before I can act. Mm -hmm. So you get bound to the action because you have created vasanas. And yeah. it's a vicious cycle. You have a vasana that says, I need money, greedy for money. 
So he said that vasana then causes you to do action that everything says, you want this from me? Okay, then give me money. Yeah. Because that's his vasana causing him to act. Right. And when he acts and he gets the money, it actually produces more vasanas because it fulfills it. He says, I got this money. He gets happier. He says, now I have a greater vasana. Right. And this carries on with him from life to life. So desires bind you to the world. Desires produce vasanas. Vasanas bind you to the world because then you want to keep coming back and you want to keep doing this. We do not realize that we are bound. We don't even realize it right. because our vasanas bind us to whatever it is that we have vasanas for, and they bind us to that. It's like a patient who has a disease coming to a doctor or actually not coming to a doctor because if he doesn't realize he has a disease, yeah. He right. doesn't even go to a doctor. That's even worse than a guy who has a disease saying, coming to the doctor and saying, please cure me. So a patient that doesn't know it says, I, I don't know that I have the disease. Why should I go to a doctor? Right, so exactly. similarly, if we don't know that our vasanas are causing us desire-ridden actions, which cause us further to be bound to this earth, to have to keep coming back, we don't know it. Sometimes so we misidentify you, our vasanas as dharma, though, sometimes, don't we? It, it can so be easy to confuse. Well, not, because I, as I will explain, you have good desires, yes. which produce good vasanas, which is what you're talking about, mm -hmm. good dharma. So you have a desire to say, I want to learn the Vedas, I want to learn Vedanta, I want to learn the Gita. That's a good desire, and the good desire produces vasanas to follow that. That oh. is excused. That's okay. Oh, so vasanas are neither good nor bad. There are good vasanas. Well, no. Oh. no, no. Oh. So hear me out. Okay. So uh, good desires produce good vasanas, which are okay, but they're still not... It would prevent you from getting to be self-realized. So they're good desires, but they're still a desire. I see. And it produces vasanas, but it's still a vasana mm -hmm. that you want to get there. Bad desires produce bad vasanas. And desirelessness produces no vasanas. Oh, I see, yes. So you don't have a desire for anything. You just act because you're doing it. Now, Jesus, right? Imagine that somebody's teaching spirituality. He's got some desire in his mind to say, I hope to get to the next stage. Right. Maybe in the hundredth life from now, I will get a little further if I do something here. <laughs> so you're doing it with some desire, some vasanas, which are, the Gita says, okay. Yeah. But the best is to be desireless. Now, when Jesus was doing it, he did it automatically. Whatever he did, he didn't, he was a self-realized person. Buddha was a self-realized person. Didn't do it with the thought that said, I'm going to get to the next age. He was already right. there. He was already self-realized. So without desires, there's no vasanas. So children, when they do something, and this is the last thing, I know we're probably way over our time. <laughs> um, it's okay, it's a good episode. Children don't have desires to get something out of it. Their energy is boundless. They just have no, they don't get tired. They don't look back. We look back at our actions and say, oh my God, <laughs> I'm depressed about what I did. Yeah. I'm anxious about what I have to do. So anxiety and depression is not there with these kids. They just play, they're happy, and then they put their head down and they fall fast asleep. Nothing right. that worries them. <laughs> so that's verse 39. And I'm sorry I took so much of your time. <laughs> Normally I would take 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And this time it's a lot longer, right, yeah. Lou? No, but it's a it's a good episode, though. Lots of things in here. Very important stuff. All right, good. Thank you 
friends for joining us. Hope you keep coming back. And as Lou will tell you, uh, we hope you put down some questions, your comments, your suggestions, your thoughts. It was very helpful to us in producing more of this that is good for you.